Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Fast am I and welcome to our weekly Women Today podcast. On the show this week, we learned all about the Isle of Man Arts Council. We talked about self-esteem, got makeup tips from a professional film and special effects artist, and Joe spoke to four times Olympic medalist swimmer Rebecca Adlington. But we started the week by paying tribute to one of Britain's funniest ladies, comedian and writer Caroline Hearn, who was sadly lost to cancer at the weekend. Everybody loves to laugh, don't they? We all love to laugh. Do you think that's helped you in your career as a comedian? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, it's a very simple, because you know that if people are laughing at what you do... They like it. They like it. And, they and if they're not laughing... They don't. They don't laugh. But... You know, now you've got all this newfound wealth, all this money, you've not gone and blown it on a fast sports car like a Porsche, <laughs> have you? Anything like that. What car do you drive, Steve? A Porsche. <laughs> she also shone in the fast show as Paola, the Ch- Channel 9 weather girl, coining a brilliant one-word catchphrase that I know well, myself and quite a few of my friends still refer to now. Meteorological Smith Paula. Hello. Classicos de Parados, Meteorology a Valley Portos. Scorchio. Minia Cunia Terra Anterior. Scorchio. Minia Cunia Terra Exterior. Scorchio. Monto Blanco. Scorchio. Costa. Scorchio. Meteorologicos Mañana. Oh, Scorchio. Bono Estente. Just wonderful. Now, she had, sadly, a well-documented, difficult personal life. David Badil, in tribute to Caroline on Twitter, described her as vulnerable, complex and damaged. Here she is talking about an attempted overdose in 1998. Very much. I knew I was badly depressed and I went to see him, like um, a faith healer, on the the Friday before the the Sunday where I took all them tablets. And, And I had been crying for weeks and everybody knew there was something, but I just couldn't get out of this sort of depression. And then when I did, did that, you know, took the tablets and everything, I had no... I was so drunk, I had no idea. And then the next day, I was devastated that I could have done that, you know. But despite those challenges, she still managed to create one of the best-loved and quintessentially British programmes on telly, The Royal Family, which must have been a pretty hard sell to the BBC. It was, it was basically a show about a fairly unappealing family just watching television. That reminds me, ma'am. Can little David stay over here on Friday? Oh, yeah, of course he can. What time till? Till Monday. (laughs) Ricky Tomlinson, co-star in the series, paid tribute to her in the mirror yesterday, saying, Carolina Hearn's death is the biggest shock in the world. It's knocked me for six. She was absolutely wonderful and amazing to work for. Kind, funny and witty. I think we would all agree with that in the studio here, wouldn't we? Yeah, Michelle, were you a fan of Caroline Hearn? She's a massive fan, actually. She's just naturally funny, I think. And you can tell from listening to all those clips, all those different characters, she's so different, yet the same at the same time, if that makes any sense. Um, And she's just got that natural wit that everyone's smiling when you hear that. She's just ever so sweet, wasn't she, really? Claire, were you a fan? I was. I used to really love the fast shows. (laughs) Good girl. (laughs) So the Scorchio. The Scorchio. (laughs) 
I used to try and do an impression of it years ago um, uh, with my friends at university. Bye bye, baby David. Because <laughs> <laughs> you used to say that in the royal family. Before, when I popped in to see Stu Peters to say what was on the show, um, I don't know how many of you heard it, but he was saying that he actually um, spent some time with Caroline. It was just at the time when she was doing the um, sister, the nun piece that she used to do. She used to um, act as a nun. And uh, he was actually batting about ideas for TV shows with her as to oh, what yeah. she was going to do in the future, which is quite amazing, really. Uh, well, let's give Carolina Hearn the last word on this. Here she is displaying her brilliantly daring wit as Mrs. Merton with guest Barbara Windsor. That's what I love about you, Barbara. You're one of us. You are. Isn't I it? Am. Yes. You know, you're like a big film star, but you're still common as milk. <laughs> What's it like to be recognised anywhere you go now? It's, it's strange because sometimes I don't at all um, and then other places I, I really do. I think a lot of people call me Vicky Pendleton because they go, are you Vicky? Because they, they just associate they were on the same level um, and kind of know our names but don't really know our sports or things like that. So it's quite funny and I, I very often get, are you who I think I am? And I'm like, I don't know because you're not telling me who you think I am. And I'm like, <laughs> it's such a difficult question to ask. But uh, Do you get but- in free wherever you go for a swim? No, not not at all, not at all. Um, I tend to just put my head down, and I, I got um, an old guy saying to me the other day, "He's like, oh, you're good. You should join a club." And I was like, "Okay, thanks." <laughs> what do you think is your highlight being in celebrity? Get me out of here. Um, I loved the jungle. It was absolutely amazing. Again, I met the best people. I was so lucky with my year that I had uh, some really, really nice people. But um, actually, I was just really grateful to do a challenge. I know that sounds stupid, but it was like I was so bored. It's not the food in there that's the problem. It's the boredom and it was very very boring so I was very grateful when I finally got to do a challenge and you got to hang out with Ant and Deck uh, slightly jealous they're very lovely they make the show the show could not survive without Ant and Deck they are lovely and they're exactly the same off camera as they are on and also the media went overboard possibly on uh, how you felt upset about your body insecurities what's that like when you watch that back it's one of those things that, to be honest, I think every woman, I've never met a, a woman that says I'm 100% confident with the way I look. So um, I'd like to meet that person if there is one. <laughs> I think we all have insecurities and especially since having my little one, Summer, you just don't think about it as much. We all have stretch marks, cellulite, the rest of it. And I'm very proud to that my body has been able to give me a healthy child. Um, so I kind of wear my stretch marks with pride almost that I've had a healthy, really healthy baby. So yeah, I think it's just one of those things that you have kind of have to face and especially for myself putting a costume on it is daunting especially when still got a bit of baby weight and the rest of it but at the same time it's not going to hold me back I'd rather spend that time with my daughter and see how happy she is in water and get over my own issues and my own kind of insecurities the fact that she's having the best time in the pool and I don't ever want to deprive her of that and our studio guest today who is Claire Pierce from Elementile uh, now I have to admit I first find out, found out about Claire's work because uh, my housemate Maria modelled for the photos of she all the jewellery and bless her she has been telling me all about Claire's studio for weeks now and I finally managed to get up to Grenaby um, a couple of weekends ago and it is just this little magic fairyland place where so just just explain what happens there because it's not just yourself up there claire is it no grenaby studios is a group of um, artist studios we've got a great mixture up there we've got a wood turner wood carver artists and myself and uh, we all it's workspace for us all um but we also open on fridays and saturdays so people can actually come up meet the artists see what we do and have a great chat with us really Lovely. Now, how did you actually first get into making jewellery? Um, well, it kind of started about um, coming up 10 years ago now. Um, I'm not an 
jeweler to begin with I was actually an accountant after leaving school and then <laughs> along came my, sec- my second child Adam and I decided it was time to go with what I wanted to actually do which was uh, something more artistic and I didn't want to go back to work full time so I started dabbling in a little bit of jewellery and then it kind of grew from there and then obviously while we've been able to travel I've used that time to uh, retrain. Why jewellery though? I am... Um, I don't know, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> well, no, I think part of it started with gemstones. My husband's a geologist, by, originally. And um, so we had lots of interesting stones around the house. And it's always been one of those things. I've sort of played with them, really, and sort of been fascinated. So it kind of was made a natural progression, I think. Yeah, and, it, and you can really see that, you know, sort of especially the gems we were talking about before. Um, I just want to mention that when you talk about the gems, you do gems, you do have a strong ethical approach to your work and materials, do. don't you? I do. Um, all my silver is recycled and sustainable, um, all 100% traceable. Um, and my gemstones, um, I either use uh, certified conflict-free gemstones or to actually, you know, actually obtaining those is very difficult these days so I also use lab created gemstones so they are the gemstones but they have same mineral makeup but they've been actually grown in a laboratory so um, you avoid the issues with uh, the, the dark side of the gemstone world so you essentially know where your goods are coming exactly, from exactly yeah exactly which is brilliant now is, is silver difficult to work with because i'm conscious that a lot of your designs they, they are so as michelle said very intricate and sort of weaving and it, they look very fluid but they're silver i think well <laughs> silver actually is a great material to work with um a lot of my designs you describe it as flowing and i suppose a lot of it I do let the silver flow. I heat it. I let it flow and do its own thing. So I never quite know exactly how it's going to go turn out. So I do have a quite, a, you know, an interesting scrap pile to one side. But when it turns out, it's beautiful because you do get the most incredible flow through the pieces. Can you talk us through the actual process of creating the, the pieces? <laughs> sometimes I sketch. I don't always sketch. Um, so I sometimes sit with my sketchbook come up with a design and go from there but other days I literally just look at what's on my desk and kind of go with the flow <laughs> so I put together some uh, silver often it starts as silver wire which I then form a basic shape and heat it and then add adornments to that once I am happy with the shape um, but things like all my shells and all the little intricate pieces that starts weeks earlier because um they are actually cast from pieces i've collected out on the beach um if you ever see a family walking along bent over in the middle with plastic bags <laughs> in their hands it's probably us because we're, we're collecting shells and anything interesting that i can then create a mold from and cast so i start making all the little pieces separately and then they get added one by one cost of raising children is is pretty high you know the the average cost at, at birth is you know five and a half thousand pounds a year and that that rises as the children get older the uh, really interesting thing that we found was that the cost of daughters is higher than the cost of sons and and that's true at, at every single age uh, age range but i suppose at the end of the day boys are still quite expensive aren't they because i'm guessing boys are more into the tech and the digital side of things well yes and th- this is what surprised me because as you say uh, boys are generally more into 
into gadgets and tech and they want their really cool bike. And I've seen research that said that, that boys tend to get more pocket money than girls. You know, the gender pay yeah. gap starts um, at a very young age. So I thought, well, it has to be um, that nowadays, particularly, girls are bombarded with images of how really they feel they should look. They, they think they should look like the girls on TOWIE or uh, you know, Made in Chelsea or, or the Kardashians or whatever. So they're out buying goodness knows how much spray tan and getting their eyelashes done. And, and you know, as, as you and I know, it's more expensive even for girls, not, not just women, to, to get their hair done than it is for boys. And what sort of age are we supporting our kids to? Because they seem to be hanging around a bit longer now too, don't they? They they certainly do. I mean, again, that's uh, you know, don't want to depress anybody who's just had a, had a child like Simon, Simon. here. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> but according to their research, you know, the average that uh, parents in this country as, ex- assume they're going to support their children financially is twenty nine. Wow, twenty nine. I mean, mm. frankly, in London, I think it's going to be a lot more. I was talking to a thirty one year old friend, and you know, he's already been talking to his parents about sort of buying a house together and all this sort of thing. But yeah, I think I think it's frankly, I think that part is absolutely reasonable. But this surely is not putting our children, uh, giving them sort of a good grounding for the future, is it, Simon? Because, I mean, if we're supporting them up until that age, you're never really letting them go and letting them sort of become independent. Yeah, you know, I think there's some truth in that. But it is just the reality, I think, you know, with the cost of housing mm. being being quite so high. And, you know, as Jasmine says, particularly in the southeast and, you know, but across the country, it's it's very hard for children to uh, to get onto the housing ladder. And, um, you know, so I think I think parental support is is required and will increasingly be required as uh, as as we as we sort of go forward. Yeah. And also they're having to pay for university, um, which that's that's a relatively recent phenomenon. I, I don't know about you, but I I mean, when I left university or when I was at university, I, I was thinking the, the question really was, which job shall I get? And uh, can I get it in London? Now it's can I get a job? Even if you're you're a graduate, it's like, oh, will I be able to? You know, I'll, I'll have to do an internship before I can get an actual job. Um, so much is so much more is uncertain for the millennials and, and the next the generation after the millennials, including will there be any sort of state pension when when I retire? Um, will I be able to retire? Retire. They're actually asking those questions, which never occurred to me. I have to say, you know, not not for years. You know, speaks the financial expert here. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> one really positive thing that actually came through our research was, um, you know, whilst the the cost of having one child um, is 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 fairly significant, you know, having subsequent children, the the additional cost isn't isn't that great. So what we're finding is that um, that families are sort of recycling things from the first child to subsequent children. So, you know, things like obviously like prams and um, clothing if, it, if you've got two girls for example so you know really encourage families to do that and you know between children you know cousins and between family friends and, and that's a great way of sort of keeping the cost down. And rise of social media helps with that as well, doesn't it? Because there's so many, I know certainly on the Isle of Man, there's a lot of Facebook pages where mm. people mm. share their stuff. So if they don't have kids anymore, they will just offer it out to whoever wants it. Yes, it's really good. That's one of the great things about the internet. There's so much you can get for free. And as you say, there are Facebook groups which are really useful because because they're local. And that's particularly good, I think, as you say, for children because there are so many people who they've got past that stage and they know what it's like, so they, they give them away. So I would definitely... 
definitely go for as much as you can for free, uh, including, by the way, here at moneymagpie.com, which I run, we've created um, a, a special ebook for parents commissioned by Sainsbury's Bank, and it includes a lot of the findings from the Sainsbury's Bank Family Finance Report. It's quite interesting. But we've got loads and loads of tips on how to save money and even make money as a family. I say turn your children into profit centres, not just cost centres. <laughs> Moneymagpie.com, it's on the homepage, um, and you're, you can just download it totally for free. It's about sort of 26 pages, something like that. There's lots of information there. Today. It's just coming up to 20 minutes to three. And our studio guest today is makeup artist Kimberly Berridge. It's lovely to have you with us, Kimberly. Uh, we've been talking a lot about makeup and self esteem and how important or unimportant it is to wear makeup. Um, do you ever go out naked or such without makeup? I wear clothes all the time. <laughs> Good. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I do sometimes go out without makeup. I not that often, I have to admit, but I, I, I do, I do do it. Especially if I have to travel or something, I'm going on a plane, I'm going to be on it for four or five hours. I just don't want it on my face. It, it, so yeah. You can feel it sort of clogging up you the can, pores sometimes, yeah. can't you? Yeah. It, because there is a thing, isn't there? I think most women would find it difficult to go out too often without makeup mm-hmm. on. We've all got something we like to wear. Like I always have to wear mascara mm-hmm. because I just don't like having ginger eyelashes. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, so I always wear mascara. Is the one item in your makeup bag that you are never without? Well, yes, but it's not something you can see really. It's um, a primer potion, eyeshadow primer potion from Urban Decay. And it just, what does that do? Well, <laughs> I love a bit of eyeshadow. So when you put you put it on your eyes and it makes the eyeshadow stay longer, it stops it from creasing, it makes the colour more vibrant. It's just a win-win product really and it's really smooth to go on and you can your eyeshadow just stays on. It's interesting because I never trust products like that, but it does actually work then, it does, does it? It exactly what it says, yeah. Someone said to me once that in order to keep your makeup looking pristine, use hairspray. Does that work? No, you don't need to do that. It's not 1987. You can buy fixed sprays now. (laughs) Sorry, I need need to get with the program. (laughs) I thought that was still a goer as well, so clearly behind. (laughs) We are a bit behind the times. Why don't more men wear makeup? I think you'd be surprised how many do, actually. Oh, if you're a man wearing makeup now, tell us. I've done makeup for a few men. A couple of them have been trans women, Mm -hmm. um, but I've covered up a couple of spots, covered up some under eye bags and things yeah, like that because why wouldn't you at the end of the day we, yeah. we do it for the reason that we want to you know sort of I don't know look a bit healthier or whatever so yeah. why can't men do the same thing draw on a fake moustache we do fake eyebrows so but they, was that for like photo shoots or anything or just everyday photo life photo shoots not everyday life yeah okay yeah I suppose yeah but, but they could, you know, in theory, go out there must be male products by now I'm sure male makeup products there is yeah I'm pretty sure I think NARS does men does male makeup um, mm. Clarins well, they do a lot of skincare for men anyway, so... Yeah, so and we, we mentioned the whole um, eyebrows thing, but earlier we were talking about uh, women feeling the need to, to look very made up and, and sometimes for young women to look older. We talked about uh, some of these trends like the, the very thick eyebrows. Mm-hmm. There's also, you know, the barely there lips. There's these extreme super tans. Um, what is the latest, hottest craze in makeup then? Is there one? Well, funnily enough, something that's coming around that's being pushed by, is it Gigi Hadid? I have no idea, but I'm sure you're right. <laughs> um, it's something called non-touring. So you've heard of this contouring oh, yeah. and everybody's putting stripes down their faces and dots and they're blending it in, which is actually a, a, a drag technique. Yeah. Something that also came in was baking, which is another drag technique. So it's so your makeup can be seen from far away and on stage. 
but it's you know there's mild versions people are wearing day to day sometimes it looks good sometimes not so much mm. um, so something now I think that's trying to fight this contouring thing because in the makeup world it's a bit of a joke this contour now um, it's non-touring so it's more just to look like you're not wearing makeup <laughs> <laughs> so you look just flawless and, and fresh and clean um, that's something that you're going to see more of, I think, over the next few months. Rather than just not wearing makeup. Yeah, well, you could not wear makeup. Yeah. <laughs> probably be a slightly better idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, uh, makeup, obviously, clearly very important. Does it really matter, though, how much money you spend? Because I have seen the most ridiculous prices of makeup recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just, lipsticks in your general shop can be 20 quid, can't mm-hmm. they? Just crackers. But I looked up some prices, I have to tell you these. So you can get golden diamond false eyelashes now that cost a thousand pounds essie released a nail polish which is called i do nail polish it has pure platinum in it and it's fifty five thousand dollars <laughs> to buy it and guerlain have released a diamond studded lipstick which is sixty two thousand dollars is there any point seriously you can go on holiday you can go <laughs> forever well, that, that, kind of that would keep me for several years that yeah. <laughs> it's bonkers but it, is it worth spending a little bit of extra money on sometimes makeup sometimes it is i have to be honest sometimes it it does make a difference um you don't have to spend the, the high end there is there is a middle ground and you have to try it on your own skin because what's what'll work on your face wouldn't work on my face you know it, you have to, it's trial and error i think it, trial and error so is there like one product that you can think of that you know what if you're going to spend a bit of extra money on something make it that foundation i think yeah i don't often wear foundation but i think if you do want to wear it yourself you um if you spend a little bit of bit little bit of money it'll sit better it'll melt better into the skin it'll look a bit more natural but if you're not spending much money on it sometimes it can sit on the skin or it'll move around or it'll it just will bobble and stuff it just mm. doesn't look as nice as it does if you're going to spend money spend it on that because it and also it's on your skin and you don't want to be putting too much rubbish on your actual biggest organ of your body either do you want to look after your skin so yeah foundation i think now we just had a message in from david actually we're talking about makeup quite a lot uh, he wants to know uh, what you feel about facelifts hmm. which is an interesting one um i think if you want a facelift and it's going to make you feel better and then why not i I, I'm neither here nor there on that, to be honest with you. I, I don't think it's, it's... It's up to the individual. If they want to have a facelift, have a facelift. And that's a very good point. Now, you are extremely creative with what you do. Um, some of your makeup... Oh, look, I love the fluorescent stuff that you do. I've mm-hmm. always been a massive fan of that. Um, and you also did this beautiful design on May Chalice for when she was uh, performing with John Newman. Yeah. Where do you get your ideas from? It can be anything, really. Maybe I'll... It sounds really silly. I've got, you know, a Pinterest page. I'll pin pictures of tropical fish. They have some amazing colourings. Maybe pictures of um, flowers and trees. I try not... I take inspiration from other artists as well. You know, we all do. But I try not to look too much at that because I don't want to be influenced. I want to have my own style. So... I'll take it from anything or I'll just experiment and something will happen on my face. And I like like the um, picture I did the other day, that was just me trying out some colours and suddenly I had a work of art on Yeah, it did, it did genuinely yeah. look like a work of art. Yeah, it was beautiful. And also this afternoon, we are going to be finding out about the Arts Council because they're recruiting for new members this month. And to tell us what the Arts Council does, how it works, who they're looking for, we are joined by the Arts Council's Arts Development Manager, Emma Callan. Welcome. Uh, Fresh from her success, I should say, as the Vicar of Dibley. Of course. Shared success. Shared. Oh, I've got got the Vicar of Dibley and Alice beside me. This is amazing. I feel like I'm back in the theatre. I'm going to have to try very hard not (laughs) Not to be stupid. Not to be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> 
I expect a joke before the end of the show, you two. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to add some more questions now, Emma. Thanks for that. Thanks. Um, but just tell me a little bit about your job, because yours is an actual paid position, isn't it? What is it you actually do? Yeah, I'm a civil servant um, and I work in the Department of Education and Children. Uh, I've been in this post arts development manager for nine years now and it's a great job. I really enjoy it. Lots of interaction with the arts community and we have a huge arts community um, of all disciplines of the arts and it's only growing I have to say and we're now looking at the um, professional creative industries and how that's taking shape on the Isle of Man. Um, but I work for the Arts Council. I support uh, the things that they would like to do and their initiatives. And I also help them in their meetings when we're considering funding for individuals and groups and venues and events. And on the government side of things, I also look at arts development activities for the Department of Education. And at the moment, we're looking at how arts is delivered across that department. Fabulously, I have to say, um, but in many, many facets. So we're looking at what we do. And I do a lot of work on that side as well. It's really interesting and encouraging that you say that the arts is growing in the Isle of Man because it tends to be the first thing that suffers when the economic climate isn't so good, which it still isn't at the moment, but that isn't your experience. No, we've been very lucky on the Isle of Man. I've watched my counterparts in the UK go through really tough times since 2008. They've had to get smarter about the, how the arts are used in public life and um, they are used... I, mean, I think people who work in the creative industries and the arts know this anyway um, but now we have to really fight for it and we use arts in a variety of ways very effectively in health and education um, but also some other ways um, in crime prevention and with young offenders creative activities are a hugely successful way of helping people rehabilitate or communicate um, and we do a lot of that on the Isle of Man as well uh, we've been in a more fortunate position financially and we have got a great situation with the Arts Council um, so yeah the, it, it's growing we've always had I think a very large artistic community but perhaps we just take it for granted because we all that's part of our culture and that's what we grow up with um, but now uh, it's easy to see this large cultural community um, taking on the world and I'm referred to figuratively you clearly mm -hmm. are quite theatrical yourself I am. Um, your husband also into the yes. into the arts you have two children are they showing signs of being a uh, budding thespians unfortunately we have a small drama queen at home yes that we live <laughs> not with. talking about neil obviously. <laughs> no not neil um daniel's a bit young we don't know about daniel yet although he does like to kick a ball around a lot so perhaps he might go the other way but yet amber goes to the christian wild theater school was in her first show just before christmas and you did that as well didn't you that's the sort of path you took yeah i went to christine's from the age of seven through to 18 um, and that was a huge part of my life and really put me on the path towards, well, towards my career, really. I have a lot to thank Christine for. It's, a, it's still a great school for those who are interested in dance and performance. I have to say, I was a, a member of Christine Wilds as well, but mm -hmm. I started quite a, a, a time after Emma had started. And Emma and Jane and this group of girls, I remember looking up to them all and going, oh, they're really amazing. <laughs> one day I want to be like them. Oh, <laughs> one day, Christy, you will be. <laughs> Do you know what? If we could find that wig from Dibley, maybe you could have that. 
and then you know it's a step along the way i can practice yeah yeah (laughs) emma thank you so so much for being with us and as i say we will be fine we do often have stories on the show about our response to the endlessly unrealistic beauty and image pressures that we face both men and women now i have to say personally it does make me quite sad actually that it does remain an issue and we do feel the need to cover this so often on the show Uh, but it seems like we still have a long way to go before either gender doesn't feel that pressure or judgment or criticism whether from the media or our peers or ourselves thankfully there are some key individuals and organizations who have a fairly loud voice who are trying to help us combat this image obsession dove who are rather ironically a beauty products line is actually one of them they've just released the dove global beauty and confidence report which interviewed almost 11,000 females across 13 countries and found that women's confidence in their bodies is on a steady decline regardless of age or geography now some of the stats from the survey for you British women have almost the lowest self-esteem in the world, with only 20% feeling confident about their bodies. 60% surveyed said they feel the need to meet certain beauty standards, which I'm assuming are those unattainable ones, and yet 77% believe it's important to be your own person. So are we fighting a losing battle with ourselves here? How can we be confident enough to be our own person if we don't like ourselves? Michelle, what do you make of this one? Mm. I think that the I would blame the media for a lot of it, as you know, commonly it is done. Um, I think it's I think it's interesting that stat that um, the for British people only sixty percent believe that they uh, believe they need to meet British um, beauty standards. Uh, I think that's quite a Western view, really. So I don't think that's, that statistic can be taken as a whole worldwide you know view because I think we are subliminally encouraged to to look at these media campaigns and and engage with them and take them as the norm so I think it's actually really difficult to distance yourself from that and think that that's not what you should be trying to achieve and that's where I think the confusing element inside what we should be trying to aim for happens really yeah because I mean really what the ideal would be is that we all become so empowered and so confident in ourselves no matter what we look like that we can just walk past these billboards and magazines and photoshopped images and just go oh it doesn't matter I don't have to be like that I think for the media to have to put these campaigns out though there must be something within us to allow us to subconsciously engage with them Yeah. yeah so perhaps even if the media campaigns weren't there and there wasn't a reason to have them would we still be the same as we are currently? Mm. And it's interesting. I was chatting to someone about this yesterday, actually, about how I think it is astonishing how hard we are on ourselves. We criticise ourselves so readily. You know, we're forever sort of talking down to ourselves in terms that I would say you would never say to someone you loved or cared about, you know, sort of, oh, I hate this about myself or I hate that about myself. Uh, Kimberly, obviously, you work in the beauty industry. You work mm. with people, you know, sort of empowering them with different makeups and, you know, sort of all that sort of line. Do, do you find that this is an issue for a lot of people that you meet? Sometimes you'll find that the younger girls, if you're doing a, a photo shoot, you'll have some girls who are under 20, for instance, they'll be the hardest on themselves. They go, oh, they'll apologise for silly things like, oh, sorry about the size of my nose. And you think, oh, what? where does that even come from? Your nose is fine. And they don't want to listen to you because they've got it in their head that the nose is, you know, for, for instance, it's their nose is big. But I think um, the media is very confusing for everybody because say you were to buy a magazine on the front, there'll be a picture of the most beautiful airbrushed woman and they'll say, you know, 
how to diet and then the next article will be love yourself and then there'll be an article on someone curvy then there'll be pictures of celebrities and they'll be body shaming them and Mm -hmm. you just don't know what you're supposed to feel like are you supposed to be ashamed of yourself if you're not cookie cutter are you supposed to love yourself we we don't know we're getting so confused we're getting so many mixed messages so it's a minefield it really is and I, 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 I worry for the younger generation because there's just so much of it there's snapchat there's um, Instagram mm. and stuff and everyone's so filtered heavily that they everybody does look perfect but you know if you look at yourself in the mirror you don't quite look as perfect as the person <laughs> on Snapchat so it's yeah. it's it's it is a minefield and it's terrifying it's true I think I do know several young people who wouldn't dream of uploading any photos of themselves without a filter on them mm-hmm. which is kind of scary really quite insecure when you're young anyway and and to be constantly compared and you know everybody's saying how beautiful this person is on TV and aren't they a goddess and you think mm-hmm. well I'm pretty normal am I supposed to look like that and now our studio guest Chris Kizik is going to tell you why you should be uh, competing in Tough Man this year which is taking place Chris on August the 6th for people who haven't heard of it I mean I'm going to be honest the name's a wee bit off-putting <laughs> it is but it's two ends okay yep so it's uh, um, does that not... make it less tough no it, it, it's it's even tougher because um, <laughs> it's a Manx event so right. it's even tougher. Yeah, see, I'd, I think I'd quite like, not so tough, it'll be okay, man. <laughs> no, yeah. Too yeah. long. The, the name's too long. Well, so what exactly is it then? It's, um, it's an adventure challenge. So um, it takes place across 10K of glorious Manx countryside, some amazing views. Um, and in case the views don't um, you know, entice you that much, we've got 25 um, amazing obstacles for you to overcome. I love the fact he's describing that. It's brilliant. <laughs> 25 obstacles um, to overcome before you get to the finish line. It's, um, uh, it's uh, a fantastic event. We're in our fourth year. And um, uh, some of the obstacles, um, we have things like the Beast, which is a, a three-metre-high solid wood wall for you to uh, climb over. We have um, Monkey Bars, over the uh, ice bath. So we bring in uh, six tons of ice. So if you don't want to get wet, you don't want to dip into the ice, you've got to make it across the monkey bars. Um, we have a, a six meter high cargo net, which we introduced last year. So that's coming back this year as well. Um, and we have the spa. Ooh. Oh, there's a oh, spa. that sounds nice. Yes, oh, so um, we, we call it the spa, but uh, a lot of people that take part tend to refer that as, as the mud pits. Um, so um, good for the skin. Probably quite difficult to crawl through. I'd, I'd keep your mouth closed. It is a, a, a working farm, but um, <laughs> the, so the mud pits, are, the mud pits are there. And uh, some of the comments we had from people taking part last year, they wanted it muddier. So we've um, we've obliged. Did they really did they? they? They certainly did. Yeah. Because um, I'm sensing there's an element of evil coming out here. <laughs> just we're going to make it as bad as possible. But you know, us. I think the thing with events like this, it must be such a tremendous sense of achievement when you've done it, and you must be so so proud of yourself. I'm building it up here for you, Christy, because there is a member of the Women's Day team who is taking on this challenge, and she is with us on the phone, Michelle Jameson. Why are you doing it? <laughs> Hi. You are doing tough, man, Michelle. Well done for you. I mean, um, yeah, I signed up yesterday. Oh, I'm too late now. It is far too late. But you know, you have um, some questions about sort of how you should be preparing for this event. Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, first of all, I'm doing it with two fully grown men. I'm quite a giddy eighteen-year-old, and I feel like that might be a stupid idea. What, what do you think? I think that's great. I mean, the, the, as I said, the, the, the part of the um, the course, we have the beast um, and um, you're going to need those guys to help you over. Um, not just that obstacle, but there's going to be obstacles. So I'd stick close to them. Um, the fact that you're, you're, you're taking part as a team, 
the teams that take part mm-hmm. in Tough Man, you all have to finish within a minute of each other. So, um, of those, oh, those, so they those... can't just run off then? No, definitely not. Um, you, so... you can't leave them behind, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Is it okay for her to be attached to them, like on their back, for example? <laughs> it, may, it may make things tricky through the mud pits. Okay. Um, but uh, it, we've not seen that yet. We've not seen anybody on anybody's shoulders, but it could be a first. Because that is a great idea. Well, you know, that you come to me for your training tips, Michelle, OK? Thanks for listening to our Best Bits of the Week. If you missed any of last week's programmes and would like to hear them in full, you can listen on demand at manxradio.com for seven days after broadcast. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MRWomenToday. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.